You're listening to Criterion Channel Surfing, a podcast dedicated to the films of the Criterion Collection streaming video service, the Criterion Channel. I'm your host, Josh Hornbeck. Alexandria Daniels, film blogger and guest of the It Pod to Be You podcast and the We Cut Heads, a Spike Lee podcast, joins me today to discuss September's new releases and expiring titles. Plus, Michael Hutchins stops by to talk about returning films to the Criterion Channel. Stay with us as we start surfing the Criterion Channel. If you enjoy Criterion Channel Surfing, check out Criterion Reflections, hosted by David Blakesley. Join David and his guests on their chronological journey through the films of the Criterion Collection. Each episode provides an in-depth discussion into the cultural context for the films discussed and covers Criterion releases on DVD, Blu-ray, Laserdisc, and the Criterion Channel. Find out more at CriterionCast.com. Criterion Cast, a podcast network and website for fans of quality theatrical and home video releases. Find out more at CriterionCast.com. My guest today is Alexandria Daniels, film blogger and guest of the It Pod to Be You and We Cut Heads, a Spike Lee podcast. Alexandria, thank you so much for joining me today. This is going to be a lot of fun, and I'm really excited to get the chance to talk to you today. Yeah, thank you for having me, Josh. I'm really excited. So So why don't we just check in a little bit? You're a new guest to the show, and uh, a lot of my listeners maybe haven't heard you. So why don't you talk a little bit about uh, what it is that brought you into film and into kind of getting excited to talk and uh, blog about film? Well, I guess it's kind of a long story short. I kind of was like interested in movies since college. And I've always been into movies, but it didn't really pick up until I was in college. And I started branching out to like art house movies and getting more into horror movies. Mm. And I started becoming a, I was a freelance writer for several years. And I've always done like small like lists and stuff about favorite my favorite movies and whatever. And I wanted to go a little bit deeper. So I tried, you know, applying for a lot of different film critic jobs or whatever. And it just didn't pan out that way (laughs) because it's actually very hard to break into that industry. I think, yeah, it was after the last time I applied for like a job, I didn't get it. So I was like, you know what? It's okay. I'll just do this by myself. And I just created my own space on the Internet Mm -hmm. where I can talk about movies and music because I I did used to talk about music at a a certain time, too. Um, I used to write for like music blogs and I had my own music blog and I just wanted to get into, you know, talk about my favorite film directors or um, explore different genres of film that are not always talked about in the mainstream as much. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I started to create film and vinyl as just my own little space for me to talk about horror movies, art house films, um, German expressionist films, just um, anything that's kind of a little bit out of the ordinary because I've always been interested in anything that's kind of offbeat. And uh, yeah, that's kind of like how it all kind of started. <laughs> well, that's really great. That's really that's really neat. Yeah, and as I've listened to you on some other podcasts and uh, read your work, it's it's been really uh, really neat to see your thoughts on film. And I just think it's always so exciting to get other perspectives and other voices out there. And so uh, thank you for for sharing your work. I love to keep keep doing it. It's so much fun. 
Yeah, it is, <laughs> it's, isn't it's it? Right? Competitive. I'm not gonna lie, but it's yeah. like I'd rather not focus on a competition and just kind of, you know, to share my own thoughts and have conversations with people like you and like and other people that enjoy movies as well. Yeah, and I just have found that there's this really great online film space where I think that people are really appreciating film and are really engaging in some really great constructive dialogues around cinema, right? Where we can analyze film and really talk about the things that get us excited about film. And uh, I just think that's really a neat place to be and to be engaging with other people who care about this as well. Yeah. So thanks for joining me on the show as we talk about the Criterion channel. And I know you're a subscriber. And so I just would love to hear some of your thoughts about the service and some of the things that you like, don't like, some of the things that you, you like about the selection and the service in general. Oh, first of all, it's a dream come true because <laughs> I remember when Filmstruck ended and that broke my heart. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because that was my intro to this type of to cinema, really. And I remember like going through like Igmar Bergman films and learning Andre Tarkovsky. And it's like I've never seen such a catalog. I never thought those films existed outside of Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. And the site is it's just it's perfect. I have to admit, when it first came out, I kind of went almost crazy because I had like a long watch list of movies I wanted to see and. You, there's so many. <laughs> it's a, it's quite an overwhelming site for cinephiles, but it's wonderful because it's also educational too. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, one thing I love about it is that you can watch a movie and then you find essays, uh, video essays about it or a behind the scenes features. So if you don't have like an extensive Blu-ray collection of Criterion, so this is like the second best thing you can have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I and I love to the the variety of, of contemporary work that they're programming as well, that they're getting things that they may not have the rights to release on disc so that we can have all of this. You know, you talk about your love of German expressionism and the German expressionist bundle that just left last I, month. I yeah. geeked out. I was like, are <laughs> you kidding me? I was, I was like, about time. Um, yeah. I, and I remember they also streamed The Devils from Ken Russell. And I, that just made me so happy because that's a film. I mean, that's like probably so hunted down. People want that movie out and released on Blu-ray at yes. this point. And yes. I remember it came out on Shudder a couple years ago. And I, that's when I first heard about it. It's like it was the, it's the most controversial film ever put out. And it's so censored and so headed. <laughs> because yes. it's so bad. Um, and I remember when Shadow released that, and I've always wanted to see it ever uh, ever since then. So the fact that the Criterion Channel was able to stream it, um, it happened last year. It hasn't really been on there since. But um, yeah. I think that's a really good sign that, you know, audiences want these movies out. We want to see these movies become accessible. That's the one thing I, I really love about it. At least they try, you know, to show that, you know, we are interested in these contemporary films and, you know, they deserve to be seen. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think it's pretty pretty exciting to to get this i i find myself just overwhelmed by all of the titles and uh i can't keep up no i can i i can't keep up it's it's almost too much it's like 
I love it. Then I have to put it away because there's so many movies. I'm like, I'm just stuck staring at the entire <laughs> playlist of movies because I don't know which one to start with. Yes, um, yes. Normally, I would have to like, usually when I try to watch movies, I try to break it down from directors to whatever genres I'm interested in. Mm. So if I'm interested in, like recently, I was more into watching Burt Lancaster films, mm. like, like any films that he's been in. So with the Criterion Channel, I'll go in and say, okay, what does he have any films on here? And then I found some and like, Perfect. I'll just start from there. <laughs> that's great. That's great. You know, just kind of break it up. I like that. Yeah, and I do like the fact that you can search, you know, for Burt Lancaster's name and pull up any film that he's been involved in, and you can also pull up any interviews with him that happen to be on the channel, and you can kind of just dive into all the Burt Lancaster goodness you want. I do think it needs more. It needs a little bit more horror. I kind of wish mm. it there was more horror yeah. films in there, and animation as well, mm. like uh, stop motion animation. Maybe from the Czech Republic, especially. Mm-hmm. I love Yuri Barda's films, and I love Sergemeyer's films uh, when he did Alice. And yeah. uh, I would love to see, first and foremost, really their work be released on a Criterion if they can get the rights for that. That would be fantastic. But uh, it may be quite difficult. I believe Kino has them. But um, if they could try to like, get the rights to at least stream them, that would be yeah. perfect. Yeah, I think that could be a really great, a really great bundle. And I, I do think that uh, as October rolls around next month, I, I would hope that we would get some more good art house horror on the channel yeah. as we come around. So yeah, yeah I got one. I got one horror movie I could recommend. So I can't wait to talk about that. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, uh, Alexandria and I will be right back to talk about the Criterion Channel's new and expiring titles for the month of September. But first, I'm going to check in with Michael Hutchins, and we're going to talk about titles that have made their return after expiring and made their way back around to the Criterion Channel. So stay with us. If you enjoy Criterion Channel Surfing, check out Drinking While Talking, hosted by Jill Blake and Wade Sheeler. Classic film, classic music, classic culture, shaken and stewed. Every episode of Drinking While Talking, Jill Blake and Wade Sheeler discuss movies and music new and old with forays into pop culture from the past, as well as wherever the spirit takes them as they get progressively more spirited. Whether they're delving into classic film, desert island picks, quizzes, games, or misguided monologues, the question will always remain, how far can they get until everything falls apart? As the editors of theretroset.com, the premier clearinghouse for all things classic, you can catch their deep dives into movies, music, and lifestyle. Sober. Their hope on drinking while talking is to take the pretension out of discussing the classics as they make their way from the early 20th century through modern day by way of film, culture, politics, through the prism of their unique and personal lens. And booze. Find out more at theretroset.com. I'm here with Michael Hutchins, one of our regular contributors to Criterion Channel Surfing, as well as a frequent contributor to most of the Facebook groups dedicated to the Criterion Collection. He's joining me today to talk about the returning titles to the Criterion Channel, as well as those titles that get a reprieve from their expirations. Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Josh. Thank you for having me. 
you know, this is one of those months that as we reached the end of August, you posted in the Facebook group that uh, the two films by Kathleen Collins mysteriously disappeared from the Leaving Soon swim lane. And, you know, I was just thinking about the fact that we've had a couple of those titles that were scheduled to expire that somehow got a last minute reprieve. Mm-hmm. And uh, this month also saw a number of films that made their way back around again for the Joan Blondell bundle. And it just got me thinking, you know, how often do we see films come back to the channel? How often do we see films get that last minute reprieve from Criterion? And uh, who better to come to with that, those questions than you? So uh, let's talk about this. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. How many films have come back around since the channel first launched? Well, if you consider the total number of limited engagements that have played on the channel since last April, uh, over 1,100 films uh, have come and gone. Only 59 of those films have come back for a second time. And among those 59 films, uh, there's also six of them that uh, came back for a third time. Okay. That's not very many. No, not at all. Uh, <laughs> uh, just over 5%. So, yeah, it's it's very minuscule amount considering the total number of films that have come and gone. I know occasionally it, uh, it, we'll get posts, you know, in our Facebook groups, people will say, you know, they'll say something like, oh, don't worry about watching it. It'll come back, you know. And I, and I always kind of kind of smile to myself, but I always point out to them that returning films are, is not common. It happens uh, less frequently than people think. There are a few titles that, that people always see pop up. And so that gives them a false notion that maybe other films are also coming back. Yeah. It, it seems like when films come back around, it, it feels notable things like the Kelly Reichardt films right. or uh, the, the Safdie brothers films or Hollywood shuffle. That's one that has come back multiple times. Yes. Uh, it, it feels notable when you see those films making their way back onto the channel and so yeah i can see how that gives this false sense of hope that we're going to see these films return quite a few times but yeah when you put the numbers out there like that 1100 films have been on the channel in limited engagements and 56 are the films that have made their way back those aren't good good numbers. No, not at all. You wouldn't put odds on that if you're if you're a gambling person. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, so what are some of the films that have made their way back? The first time this happened in a major way was when the Columbia Noir uh, bundle came back at the first year anniversary of the service. All of the eleven films that was in the original bundle back in April of 2019 returned in the 2020 version as well. And they added 14 more films, so they really doubled the size of the bundle. But that got people talking about, you know, such a big number of films come back at once. But that was a special occasion. It was an anniversary celebration of what they had done in that one year. Mm-hmm. And that was such a such a notable project. Uh, everyone was talking about it, if you can recall. Like just after the channel, no one was talking about Criterion films. They were talking about the Columbia Noir bundle, you know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so it, uh, they, they saw that and they, they know that it was a popular, I guess they got the numbers too. I'm sure they record, they know when people are watching. And so they, they yeah. said, let's, let's, let's do this again, just as, as, a, as a recognition of, of our first year. Yeah, that does seem like a really uh, unique thing that is yeah. is kind of kind of rare to yeah. see. 
And there was an, uh, there was another occasion that brought back uh, several films, and that's the, the Black Lives Bundle, and mm-hmm. of course uh, the circumstances around what's happening in the real world around April and May of this year prompted Criterion to bring back some of the films, mainly the films of Charles Burnett, the six yeah. films that had left, and a couple of films by Shirley Clark, where she dealt with African American subjects like Ornette Coleman and her portrait of Jason. And uh, that was also yeah. an unusual circumstance to see, you know, that many eight films come back. So if you take those two bundles away and you consider everything else, that leaves, you know, 40 films. And that those 40 films among those, about maybe a third of those were Criterion Collection spine number releases. And you know they're going to try their best to get the studios who, who have licensed those to give them access and to stream these films that are they have released physically. Yeah. So they will license films like from Studio Canal and, and other films, even even some films that are out of print, of course. And then you've yeah. got other studios. You've got the other studio films like from Columbia or from Warner Media, or maybe from Paramount. Those are more likely to get shorter engagements. So when they come back, they're usually still the, the three-month engagements that they originally were. Yeah. When I look at the others that are coming back, what strikes me is there isn't a, a huge rhyme or reason, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it seems like they only really come back if they can make the case for adding it to another bundle. That's exactly it. That's that's the thing you're looking out for, because in almost every case, these films came back in a different bundle. If they were here originally for a director's bundle, then they were brought back for an actor's bundle. You know, yeah. In the case of Jean Blondel, a few of her films were also in the, the pre-code Barbara Stanwyck bundle. So it just seemed natural that since he's, they did have access to these to these films, that they would could easily bring those back into another bundle. Yeah. So they must have really good relationships with the studios that yes. license them to them for the first time. So they there must be a really a good a good working relationship. So they can relicense them for another three months, six months, however long that period is that they're going to get them for to bring them back for a short time. Oh yes, uh, studios like Sony Pictures, who who owns Columbia now. They have a very good relationship, and so they make up a quarter of the films that came back. And they also make up a very significant part of the amount of the films that are, you know, of the other 1,100 films, you know, yeah. along with people like Warner Media and other studios who they're licensing them from. Yeah, and, you know, you see things like the Kelly Reichardt bundle that they brought back a third time right around yeah. the time that First Cow was out. And, yeah. you know, it, it seems that these are, they're tied Sometimes they're tied to things that are happening yes. uh, in the film world. Yeah. Like they brought back the Safety Brothers films because of the success of Uncut Gems, you know. Yeah. And so that just seemed like that would be something that, that they would strive for. You know, in the case yeah. of the Kelly Reichardt films, those three films that are that they were licensed from Oscilloscope, the first time they were on the service, they stayed for six months, which is the usual run for an oscilloscope licensed film. Mm-hmm. And then when it came back the second time, as you said, to promote First Cow, I uh, was surprised it left after three months. All three films left mm-hmm. after three months. And then they were gone for a month, and then they popped back up unannounced for two more months. So effectively what they did was they finished their six-month <laughs> run but yeah. what happened was, I think they pulled the plug, you know, 
earlier than what you know somebody just was looking at a list or they're saying oh that's a three-month film and and they they somehow it got in the wrong list or the you know somebody pushed the wrong buttons but you know but they brought them back when they realized their mistake and it they finished the last part of their second run so uh, unofficially i could yeah. say that they really didn't come back three times it was only you know, only only twice you know so it sounds like what may happen what may be happening with the Kathleen Collins films, this, a similar thing happened with the Kalika La films and with yes. Celine Siama's Tomboy. I see you speculate that it's possible that those films had back-to-back engagements. Yes. Uh, that they renewed the engagement to keep them in the Black Lives bundle. Right. Now, in the case of the Kalika La and the Kathleen Collins, all of their films were actually announced as leaving yeah, and, and, but they they wound up staying. Now those those two directors, I'm sure they were part because of the Black Lives Bundle, but the Celine Siama, I'm not sure exactly why her film never left. But then they seem to also renewed her other two films, you know, Water Lilies yeah. and Girlhood. So it could be because they had made the deal to release her Portrait of a Lady on Fire, that yeah. they say, yeah, we need to promote the physical release of that film by having her other all of her other films on the yeah. channel. So there are circumstances that 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 arise where you can see, well, this is un, this is unusual. So so yeah. I, I don't I don't want the audience, our audience, or the viewers of the Criterion Channel, to think that this is something that's going to happen a lot. And yeah. in fact, I was joking around with a person who insisted at one time a few months ago that a film will come back. And so I sat down and figured out the odds. And and if you say five percent of all the films are going to come back, there's been eleven hundred films, which means that the average film that you're looking for may take up to twenty two years to come back. <laughs> yeah. So so don't yeah. hold your breath, you know. Yeah. Well, enjoy the enjoy the films that are on the channel that you want to see right now, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and expect at least a three month engagement. You know, I know there's mm-hmm. rarely there's a two month and sometimes even a one month engagement. But yeah, just uh, don't worry about it. Just just see the films you want to see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Fistful of Dollars is getting a one month engagement. It's yeah. one of the shorter ones, but those are really rare, right? Very rare. Yeah. I think As, there's only been about 20, 20, 25 uh, one month engagements since they started last year. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else that stood out to you as you were doing the the research on this topic? I was looking at the number uh, that was being returned each month, and I started with August because that was the first month where a film returned. And mm-hmm. after that, uh, there was only one or two films that was coming back, and then we had that big bump in April with the Columbia Noir, and and then a big bump in June with the uh, the Black Lives. And then of the last couple of months, we've had uh, a couple of bundles that have kind of skewed the stats a little bit. We had Elaine Delon bundle. Yeah, it had three films that had been on before. And then the bad vacations bundle. So you know, as as we've spoken, as we're you know, trying to make clear, was that there's only special circumstances when to bring a film back. You know. Yeah, but actually, it's interesting looking at your spreadsheet here, looking at your notes. It seems that there have been a handful each month now, really since November of last year. There have mm-hmm. been one or two, at least each month, and right. the last two months, you know, we've had a little bit more than that eight in August, 6th in September. Yeah. So it does seem that there is the possibility for a few films to make their way back around. They may not yeah. be 
you're you're not going to necessarily you know you can't count on the one film that you really want to see to get it back around but it is there are possibilities for a handful of films to make their way back around and we're going to see that because i'm not saying there's a limited source a limited number of films out there for them to actually bring into the channel but i'm saying is that the programmers there at Criterion are looking at the films and they're looking at yeah. the library that's available to them from Columbia and Warner. And they're, and they're putting these things together. They're not going to sometimes not do a film because they've already shown it. If it's yeah. there and it fits yeah. readily into a new bundle, they're going to jump on it, you know, and, yeah. and they've got their stats too. They know, you know, certain films are being, are being streamed by a certain number of people. And maybe that could be a reason why they're bringing certain films back. Yeah. And as we go along and as they they create this, I guess, you know, bag of stats, uh, yeah. they, can, they can see, you know, certain things for the good that they bring back certain films. Yeah. Well, and that's actually really, really encouraging when I think about it, that yeah. this actually functions more like an actual channel and less like a streaming service where once it's gone, it's gone and it may never come back. You know, I, I think about TCM, I think about a lot of movie channels where they do have content that regularly cycles on and off. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you might miss an airing of a film, but it might come back two months, three months later. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, you know, we have the opportunity to watch some of these films for an entire three months and it might come back two years from now. And, you know, that's, that's really, you know, like you said, these are really smart programmers. They're going to add things into bundles that make sense. They're going to program things that that fit into themes and that fit into packages that mm-hmm. are going to be unexpected, but also are going to really contextualize the films in some new and interesting ways. And so yeah. I think that's really neat. And they can make pol- political or social messages through their programming. They yeah. are a privately owned company. They're not beholden to anyone to, I guess they do have their bottom line, but of course they, they can make moves pretty fast. Unlike big corporations, for instance, like when they brought in the black lives bundle, that was, yeah. that was uh, within weeks of, yeah. the, of the protests. So, yeah. so they're, they're well aware of the real world too. And, and they're, and, and I think they are a, a company with conscience and they can actually, uh, Say you know, can we do good in the world? You know, and and, yeah. and that's what they're doing in certain in certain cases when they're bringing back some of these films. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, Michael, thank you so much. This is really helpful and really informative. And I think the the message that we want people to take away from this is watch the films <laughs> uh, that you want to watch. Exactly. And it's it's good to know though that there is always the possibility of stuff coming back around. So some of those lower tier films don't necessarily sweat the stuff that you're not as keen on. There is the possibility that some of the stuff might come back at some point, but but make sure to get to those ones that you really want to watch. That's that's good advice. Well, where can people find you online? I am in the Facebook groups Criterion Now and in the Criterion Channel Club. And you can find my list, my movie list on Letterboxd and under Michael Hutchins. That's great. Michael, this is always such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you, Josh. We'll be right back with more Criterion Channel Surfing as Alexandria and I continue our conversation by talking about September's new releases and expiring titles. Stay with us. If you enjoy Criterion Channel Surfing, make sure to check out Good Times, Great Movies, hosted by Doug McCambridge and Jamie Lorello. 
a podcast about the best, but usually the worst, of 80s cinema. Every other Friday, Doug and Jamie discuss a film from the 80s. Some are films they haven't seen since they were kids and offer a contemporary perspective. Others are films they've never seen before but probably should have. Do they hold up? Are they classics? Or would these films just be better off having been lost to time? Find out more at goodtimesgreatmovies.com. Welcome back to Criterion Channel Surfing. I'm here with Alexandria Daniels, and we're getting ready to dive into the Criterion Channel's new and expiring titles for the month of September. So, you know, as always, I I feel like this month, it's kind of an overwhelming, just bounty of of new titles here. Alexandria, when you looked at the list of, of new stuff there, just what were some of your first impressions as you look over it? We'll get into the, the specifics here in a little bit, but what struck you when you first looked at this? Again, <laughs> share, share a feeling of overwhelm. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing that really made me happy was seeing the list of films that were book adaptations. That made me, I, I love seeing movies that are like based off of books. So yeah. uh, I was like, oh, this is even perfect. But I've seen so many of them. And at the, at the same time, there's some I'm like, I have never seen them. And I don't know if I should read the book first or if I should just dive right in. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a big um, fan of adaptations then? Yeah, I do. And period pieces. I I love watching them. So that was that actually made me really excited. And also to see movies that are based off plays. Like that's something I used to like enjoy when I was in college or studying English. And you know, that's kind of helps me really appreciate cinema, just how you could take something from the book and make it come alive. I, I really love seeing that. But there's like an overwhelmingly amount of titles underneath that by the book section. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You know, I expect Agnes Varda to be there. I have no problem seeing her. her I, I love her work. Joan Blondell. Like I wanted to get into some of her movies as well. So I but I was expecting that. But just seeing the the overwhelming amounts of by the book <laughs> collection was like, oh Lord. <laughs> oh. Like I'm well, overjoyed me... and I'm like, oh, don't know where to begin. <laughs> Well, let me do a quick rundown of the titles here that we've got coming out. We have that pre-code Joan Blondell bundle with Blonde Crazy, Millie, Night Nurse, Big City Blues, The Crowd Roars, and a whole lot of other titles there. We have two by Dorothy Arzner with Working Girls and Merrily We Go to Hell. Three by Robert Green with Actress, Kate Plays Christine, and Bisbee 17. Four films by Jansica Brava with Gregory Go Boom, Pauline Alone, Woman in Deep, and Man Rots from the Head. We have Christo and Jean-Claude with Running Fence, Islands, Christo in Paris, Umbrellas, The Gates, Walking on Water, and the short Christo's Valley Curtain. We have the Directed by Albert Brooks bundle with Real Life, Modern Romance, Lost in America, Defending Your Life and Mother. We have three by Lucrecia Martel with La Cienega, The Headless Woman, and Zama. We have the films of Agnes Varda with everything. Uh, <laughs> the entire Agnes Varda set. Uh, we have directed by Volker Schlorndorf with Young Torless, Ball, The Lost Honor of Katharina Bloom, Coup de Grasse, The Tin Drum, Circle of Deceit, and again, uh, a lot of other titles there as well. And then, like you said, this by the book bundle, I'm not going to even 
try <laughs> to get through all of those. Many of these are films that are part of the the permanent collection, but uh, a couple of ones that do stand out as ones that just came onto the channel are things like Emily Bronte's Wuthering Heights, Zama, again, The Hours. I mean, this is just this incredible collection of adaptations here. We have two documentaries, Streetwise and Tiny, The Life of Erno. We have Thank You and Good Night, plus two short films, home movie and a comedy in six unnatural acts. We have the streaming premiere of Corpus Christi. We have a couple of single titles, including the epic Satan Tango. We have Art and Craft, A Prison in Twelve Landscapes, and The Loveless. We have Criterion Collection full editions of The Heiress and Boyhood. Saturday matinees of Duck Soup, The Phantom Tollbooth, Charlotte's Web, and Pygmalion. Shorts plus features of You Are Not I plus The Sheltering Sky. Nettles plus It Felt Like Love. A Thousand Suns plus Tuki Buki. The Amateurist plus Je Tu Il Elle. When It Rains plus Ornette Made in America. And then we have double features of Yojimbo and A Fistful of Dollars. Lenny and Jojo Dancer, Your Life is Calling. Taboo, A Story of the South Seas and Taboo and Golden 80s and Nocturama. And then finally, we have a new Observations on Film Art, which is focusing on visual strategies in La Cienega. And, uh, you know, as we made it to the, by the book, I forgot about all of the other titles like Satan Tango and, <laughs> you know, the, the Prison in Twelve Landscapes and Corpus Christi and all of these other films that were coming up too. And I'm just like, this is, this is just such an incredible month. Yeah, it is. Like, there's so much to dig into. So it's like, it's like a feast. <laughs> it's like a buffet. <laughs> it is. It is. And, you know, I, I love the, you know, I came to Criterion through Roger Ebert's great films list and uh, beginning to kind of get into older films uh, that way. And it really helped me kind of dig into kind of classic Hollywood and classic art house cinema. But I love just how much they're embracing kind of new filmmakers and new work through this service. It, it's just, uh, it's incredible to do this. And especially in this time when, you know, movie theaters in my area are closed because of the pandemic. And so mm -hmm. getting to see a film like Corpus Christi is something that uh, wouldn't have been able to happen in my area. So having, having access to a lot of these films is really, really incredible. Right. And that's actually kind of like the good thing about like the time we're living in now with streaming. It makes these movies accessible because I remember like the only time I could watch classic film would be on Turner Classic Movies or something. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have like a lot of DVDs that are classic movies. So any movies that would be referenced on that, I would have to wait and check out the Criterion channel just to kind of catch up. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, I mean, I love like German Expressionism. I've definitely heard of film noir, but like some of those classics I wouldn't be able to watch had it not been for either Filmstock or even um, Criterion channel. So like that's, that's a really good thing. I can kind of yeah. like pick up on my history on that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, Alexandria, you know, with all of the, the bounty, like we said, the, the feast that is at our table here, what are a couple of films that, you'd recommend what are some things that you're really excited to catch let's help people navigate this overwhelming fire hose that is been turned on <laughs> so the two titles that i really want to recommend one of them was a uh, kate plays christine from mm -hmm. robert green 
and Death of a Salesman from Volker Sondorf. Mm. So, like I said, I, I love the arts. And um, what I like about Kate plays Christine, it's a very experimental look on the actor's process into becoming a character. Except this one is based off a real woman named Christine Chebek. Those who don't know, she was a journalist who took her own life, unfortunately, on live television. No one really knows much about her except for that one event. But the documentary, Kate Plays Christine, kind of allows the audience, through a very unique way of filmmaking, allows us to kind of understand who she was. And I think it's kind of like almost like an introduction, in a way, to kind of for us mm-hmm. to understand who she was. But it's more about what an actor goes through to get into that person's consciousness. You know, we talk about actors like Heath Ledger and we praise him for his work, you know, for The Dark Knight, for example. Those actors that kind of go so deep into a character, you're not sure how they're able to do it. And that's kind of like what I think about when I see Kate plays Christine. You kind of wonder, you know, or you think it's pretentious, you know, for an actor to kind of talk about themselves, like to, you know, go through that. But it's actually a very fascinating process to watch. Mm. And at the same time, we're learning about this really dark story and wondering how come this woman, Christine, is not, and you know, how come we don't know much about her other than her suicide? How come we don't know about her aspirations or her dreams? It's like there's not much depth there. So that's the only, I say that's the only downside about that movie is it's kind of cold in that fact. Mm-hmm. It doesn't get that deep into her story compared to the other film that came out actually the same year as this film did, Christine. It has uh, Rebecca Hall. She plays Christine Chapman and it's directed by Antonio Campos. That movie goes a little bit further than this documentary, but I think it should be appreciated at least. It should be checked out because it's, it's quite a fascinating documentary to say, to say the least. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, you know, you have Death of a Salesman. And that's, a, okay, that's a heavy hitter. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you are into, like, if you love theater, you're going to like it. Because this one is, it stays true to Arthur Miller's playwright. It goes exactly by the book. I mean, even down to the set design, it's very true to the play. Those who don't, who are not familiar with it, it stars Dustin Hoffman. And uh, he is fantastic as Willie Loman. And John Malkovich plays Biff Loman, who is his son. It tells the story of Willie Loman, who is an aging salesman, and he is his mind is deteriorating. So basically, he's having fl- and the, he's basically having flashbacks of his life, and the story is told through those flashbacks as if they were real. And as he is going through this, you know, his son Biff is really he's kind of caught in a bind. He wants to live his own life, but there's pressure for him to follow in his dad's footsteps. And basically, the movie is just about this idea of the American dream. Is that a real concept? Is that something that can be achieved? Or is it all just illusion? Mm. You know, it's a really, it's a very depressing play. Yes, and a depressing movie. But it's a very interesting, well-crafted movie based off that play. And I, I just, I have to, I have to recommend it. Mm. Let's check mm. out. That's great. Oh. Movies that I really want to see. Yeah, I have to. I got to go through another heavy hitter. Emily Bronte's *Wuthering Heights*. <laughs> <laughs> I adore this book. It's one of my favorite Gothic books, and I've seen other adaptations, but this one stars Ray Fiennes as Heathcliff, and this, I believe, is actually his 
film debut. And uh, it's directed by Peter Kaminsky. And so I'm just really curious to see how they adapted the book. Because I've seen two other adaptations that have done a fairly good job. But they, one has only gone through like half the book. That would be the 1939 version. There's another one too. With, uh, it's a 1998 version with Tom Hardy. That's the only one. That's from Masterpiece Theater. But only, only both of them has talked about half the book. And it's just in various ways. I would like to see how this one interprets the novel. I mean, it's a very complicated book, a very complicated structure. Because it talks about Heathcliff and Catherine. You know, they become lovers. They were like childhood friends. Because Heathcliff was adopted, loosely adopted by Catherine's family. But they kind of fall in love over the years. And it just becomes this very tumultuous relationship. <laughs> because he is, Heathcliff is, he's been abused left and right. And... You know, he comes from a place of vengeance and anger, but there's this deep love for Kathy. Mm -hmm. And because of society's societal norm, she is torn between wanting to marry Rich or to go with Heathcliff, which is where her heart belongs. And you see how their relationship actually trickles down the generational line when they both have their own kids. So it's a very interesting gothic story. But I always wanted to see what that interpretation that adaptation is. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, the one I want, really want to see is My Brilliant Career mm. from Gillian Armstrong. I know that Judy Davis stars in it, and I know it's about an aspiring writer. And I like those movies when they talk about writers. And again, kind of like to Kate Plays Christine, where they, it's all about the process of these artists and how they create their work. So I, I want to know what, the, what that film was about. <laughs> well, that's great. That's great. Those are some good uh, some good recommendations in there. I really am curious about Kate Plays Christine, so thanks for that. I think I have the Grasshopper Films disc sitting on my shelf, and uh, mm-hmm. I think this is probably maybe one of the, the impetuses for me to pull it out. I have seen the other version of the film and was absolutely enthralled by the story, and Rebecca Hall was really incredible. The other Wuthering Heights adaptation is the 1939 version with mm. Laurence Olivier and oh, yeah. Merle Oberon. That's the that's the version I absolutely love. It mm. does not tell the full story, but they get the emotions right. Olivier is fantastic as Heathcliff. He oh, doesn't yeah. is not as violent as the other interpretations have been, but you still understand his turmoil and his love for her. Like it's mm. it's brilliant to see on screen. Brilliant. Mm. Well, I think it's really interesting just to see how different filmmakers interpret the same text, right? Just to see if they can actually get to the essence of the of the, the novel and what they choose to focus on. Yeah, I'll be curious to hear your thoughts once you do watch this 90s version of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so curious. I was like, is, is it going to be really bad or really good? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious about Schlondorf's version of Death of a Salesman. I was a theater major in college, and so I know the, the play very well. And I think I remember seeing clips from this, but not really making the connection that it was uh, Schlondorf. And it makes me more and more intrigued to, to watch it. So that's, that's really cool. Like when uh, you watch it, it looks like a stage play. Like how they crafted the sets and everything. Because I believe one of the sides is supposed to be like the set. The characters can go through the walls. So it could look like it's going through the past and the present. And it looks like that on film. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's cool. 
yeah, it's very, very beautiful to watch. That's cool. Yeah, I like that that heightened theatricality that that you get sometimes when you are taking theater works and making them into films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My recommendations. I'm going to continue with the Robert Greene bundle and recommend Bisbee 17, which is the the film out of that bundle that I've seen. And I watched it when it was at playing in theaters and it absolutely devastated me and brought me to tears. It's the story of a town that a hundred years ago, it's a mining town that the miners were beginning to organize, but the miners were also a band of immigrants and they're, were class and racial differences and the sheriff and the people in power were paid off by the mine authorities to stop the miners from organizing. And so anyone who was considered to be an agitator were rounded up and put into a train and basically dropped off in the middle of the desert. And this town, a hundred years later, is reckoning with that past. And so they're putting on a play, kind of a a pageant, in which the townsfolk are reenacting this event. And you have the descendants of the people who stayed. And many of them have family members who, who were kicked out as well. So you have a family who who had uncles who were kicked out of town or you have uh, family members who did the kicking out, but also had brothers who were, who were set against brother. And so it's this, this really interesting piece that also becomes incredibly cathartic as the town wrestles with its, its violent and racist past and becomes so cathartic. And you have, people who have recently moved into town and who are recent immigrants into this this town who are playing these roles and uh, becomes this this collective act of repentance and this collective act of sorrow over what has happened it's probably one of the the most beautiful looks at i think at how we reckon with mm-hmm. uh, our past and how we look honestly at these things and begin to grapple with it. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's absolutely moving. And I think um, gets at something deeper and more profound than uh, I think a, a traditional documentary would, like you were talking about with uh, Kate plays Christine, that, that extra layer of artifice, there can be some really interesting things that come out. And I think that I'll be curious to watch the other two films to see where he, how he develops as a filmmaker. Cause I think at least in this one, it seems like he has really hit his stride and really has found a way of using performance to, to deepen things. Yeah. So it's, uh, this is one that I can't recommend highly enough. Nice. Yeah. I definitely have to check this one out too. It sounds, especially nowadays with the civil unrest this country's yeah. having now, it's, per, it's so relevant because we are yeah. as a nation dealing with the past and how we, you know, you have like systemic racism and, you know, how, you know, we're dealing with immigration. It's just, that sounds very poignant right now. It's like, I definitely need to check this out. I remember when I watched it, I thought, you know, this was coming out in the middle of all of the Trump administration's crackdowns on immigration. And it felt incredibly relevant then. And yet it still feels just as relevant now. <laughs> and I think 
our nation needs more of this type of work where we actually honestly look at what we have done in our past uh, so that we can we can really grapple with it and understand it more i also really want to recommend the lucrecia martel bundle for anyone who hasn't seen any of her work i think she is just this incredible filmmaker martin kessler and i talked about la cienega last month but i'm excited that they have included both the headless woman and zama this month on the channel and uh, zama is just an outstanding film that explores colonialism it looks at the long-standing consequences of colonialism and the ways that just infects every part of society and uh it's an incredible film that uh, is just one of those works that takes a lot to unpack. And uh, I know I'm going to try to revisit it because there is so much there to continue to, to look at in its exploration of time and place. So that's one that I really recommend. And I think that everything she does with sound design and editing and composition is just really incredible. So she's a, a really unique voice in cinema. And I think that everyone should really begin to explore her work and take the time to really dig into that. Nice. I actually watched La, La Cienega years ago before I knew who this director was. <laughs> I was yeah. just merely curious. And I did see Zama. And uh, at first, I did not know exactly what to make of it. But uh, after, you know, just hearing you speaking about it and just taking into account with, you know, what this country is con- like reviewing now within its own history about colonialism, now I kind of rewatched Zama and see what exactly it was talking about regarding colonialism, what she was trying to say. Yeah. I mean, it was. It's a beautiful. It's a beautiful picture. I I liked. I loved a lot of the composition. The cinematography is is gorgeous, yeah. and uh, I love the costumes. I just I just loved how it looked. But it's definitely a movie I want to revisit so I can unpack what was going on, because yeah. she definitely has a lot to say. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot there. Uh, the headless woman was the first of hers that I saw, and it was that same kind of. I knew there was something there that I was missing and I need to revisit it. And it's, that's one that I have to, I have to revisit because it was really looking at the, the political violence in the country and uh, the, the ways that people would just disappear and the, the paranoia Zama was also, I think looking at the, the ways that this type of colonialism creates a sense of apathy and Mm -hmm. a sense of, uncaring in in the colonizers as well and yeah i just i all of her work i feel like is so dense that there are films that i i know that i need to return to because i know that for me anyway i know i have to kind of continue to wrestle with what's there on screen yeah i'm like that too and that's that's okay that's like a great study you know there's some you get immediately when you watch it but there's there's some that you know is special and you know there's something more underneath it there's so much yeah. nuance there and you just have to keep watching it until you kind of you you go through it and you yeah. kind of get to the meat of it of the film and that's not exactly how i felt with zama because by the end of it i i wasn't sure how exactly how to feel <laughs> i was yeah. like kind of yeah. numb actually and maybe yeah. that was the point just to un- to show just how cruel colonialism was yeah so yeah that's a, that's a good one yeah I am really uh, eager to catch four films by Jonsica Bravo. 
Uh, I don't know much about her, but they're four short films, and that makes me really excited. Uh, I like being introduced to new filmmakers. I'm on a, a quest to watch more films by female filmmakers. As a straight white man, I think that my vision gets often limited by what is easy to digest. I often just see a lot of films by other straight white men, and so I like to try to seek out films by filmmakers who are not like me and the description of her work leaves me really really excited and she seems like a filmmaker who really views the world really differently and that to me is always always exciting and i can't wait to to dig into these and short films are also really nice and digestible too i have found that some of the best viewing experiences i've had in the last few years have been really well-crafted short films by great filmmakers who know what they're doing with that form and can leave you unsettled and can leave you kind of on edge. And so, yeah, I'm very, very eager to, to look at this bundle. Nice. Nice. And finally, uh, Corpus Christi is one that I have been wanting to see for a long time. And uh, I had been planning to maybe rent it digitally as it was making the rounds and just hadn't got around to it. And so now that it's shown up on the Criterion channel, I'm very excited that I get to watch it as uh, part of the service that I watch pretty regularly. And uh, this is uh, one that I have been very eager to, to catch. Nice. <laughs> well, Criterion has a lot that they add, but you know they also take away a lot as well. And this month, uh, you know, we don't have a ton that's le- that are leaving, but there still are quite a few films that we are going to be losing this month. So we are going to be losing just about everything from the Western Noir Bundle, including Blood on the Moon, Station West, The Walking Hills. Lust for Gold, Devil's Doorway, Rancho Notorious, The Naked Spur, Man with the Gun, Violent Men, Man of the West. And uh, I Shot Jesse James does remain uh, because that's part of the permanent collection. Mm-hmm. We're going to be losing two titles from the Australian New Wave, Mad Max and The Year of Living Dangerously. We're going to be losing Adoration from the Adam Agoyan Bundle. We're going to be losing The Sheltering Sky and High Heels from the Scores by Ryuchi Sakamoto Bundle. We'll be losing Barbarella, Fun with Dick and Jane, and California Sweet from The Three, starring Jane Fonda. We'll be losing The Future from the Directed by Miranda July Bundle. We'll be losing Mifune, The Last Samurai from the Toshiro Mifune Turns 100 Bundle. We'll be losing most of the directed by Maurice Pilat bundle. We'll be losing We Won't Grow Old Together, The Mouth Agape, Graduate First, Lulu, Police, Under the Son of Satan, and Van Gogh. We'll be losing a couple from the Jafar Panahi bundle, including This Is Not a Film and Taxi. We'll be losing The Stranger from the Orson Welles bundle. We'll be losing two from the three by Yorgos Lanthimos bundle. Uh, We'll be losing Dogtooth and Alps. We'll be losing the rest of the early Douglas Sirk bundle, including A Scandal in Paris and Lourdes. We'll be losing Come Back Little Sheba from the Marriage Stories bundle. 
We'll be losing all of the Meet the Filmmakers Herschel Gordon Lewis bundle with Carving Magic, Blood Feast, 2000 Maniacs, Color Me Blood Red, The Gruesome Twosome, The Wizard of Gore, The Gore Gore Girls, and Herschel Gordon Lewis, The Godfather of Gore. We'll be losing the Saturday matinee of Little Lord Fauntleroy. We'll be losing the Criterion Collection editions of A Dry White Season and The Two of Us. And we'll be losing single titles. Uh, these are parts of double features or other single features here. We'll be losing The Magnificent Ambersons, King's Row, Fistful of Dollars, Exporting Raymond, Gun Crazy, Arizona Dream, Hollywood Shuffle, Stain Vertical, The Fits, Fire at Sea, I Am Not a Witch, Farewell to Arms, Lamb, and Mad Hot Ballroom. So it's a. Uh, uh, there's no way I'm going to catch up with everything here. So. Uh, that's that's always sad, but I've come to <laughs> peace with that. <laughs> uh, but Alexandria, what do people need to catch before the end of the month? And what are you going to catch before the end of the month? Okay. So this one film I have to recommend. This is for my horror fans <laughs> out there, okay? <laughs> Blood Feast. You need to see <laughs> Blood Feast from Herschel Gordon-Lewis. Yes, as what <laughs> Joshua just said, he is the godfather <laughs> of Gore. <laughs> um, and when you see the movie, you're going to understand why he's called that. Because <laughs> this, this, even though it is the first splatter film uh, ever, it is still a historical one. It's about this man who is a caterer and he is trying to create his own, what is called as a blood feast. But he is a... A, a killer and he kills his victims and he cooks them to a blood feast so he could give them to an Egyptian goddess. <laughs> That's his goal. <laughs> and um, he's being, he's being like pretty much hunted down by the, by this detective and his girlfriend. It's a, it's a civil plot. The movie itself has terrible acting. I have to admit, but <laughs> it's also fun to watch because even though the acting is bad, the actor who plays the caterer, Ma Arnold, he's actually very, he's still very convincing and still very terrifying to watch. He's like, he's very serious about trying to basically, well, you know, get these bodies and give them to his goddess so he could resurrect her and have her power. <laughs> it's, it's such a, it's a funny plot, but and. It's but it's just fascinating to watch because really you don't take it seriously even though it feels yeah. like the filmmakers taking it seriously. <laughs> and also when I was researching the film a bit more, the director was actually it's, it seems like it's more like a like a response to Psycho because Psycho mm -hmm. came out three years earlier and we all know it was directed by Alfred Hitchcock and he had an issue with the movie. He felt that Hitchcock was playing it safe because at the time, you know, Hitch you, Hitchcock could not show, you know, actual gore on screen or else he'll get more in trouble. He's already making, he already made like a horror movie already. Herschel Gordon Lewis was like, well, no, I want to make something right there in front of audiences. That's going to terrorize them and it's going to be bloody. And he did not care. <laughs> And I, there's something really bold about that. I mean, this movie came out in 1963. That's not that far from when Psycho came out. So, yeah, I mean, the movie is not perfect. I'm so, I, even I'm shocked that the Criterion even released, even streamed it. But I'm glad that they did. 
So if you're someone who loves horror, and this is a part of horror history, it's part of film history, take it for what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's something to take. That's a really recommend. It's, it's it's a fun movie, and it's the effects are very uh, they work well. Like even now, like yeah, it looks like kind of it looks kind of cheap, you know, because you know technology has already advanced. But what he was able to do with such a small budget, I think he only had like a twenty four thousand five hundred dollar budget to make yeah. this movie. And when the film came out, it was highly successful. He the box office, I think, brought four million dollars in the box office. So, I mean, it comes to show just how much you can do in, you know, with small budget films. And that's what I love about one of the things why I love about this movie. It just kind of shows like you, the, you could have the least amount of money and you could be cold, totally creative and you still find an audience. Yeah. Yeah. So I haven't watched any of the Herschel Gordon Lewis films yet. And I'm a little daunted by the number in that that set. Would you say that this is the one to watch out of the, the bundle yeah. if I was only going to watch one? Yeah, watch this one first, okay. just because okay. it was that first exploitative splatter film, and okay. my God, it came out in 1963, so I was like, yeah. he got away with it, so it's, like, okay. it's still historical, so yeah, definitely okay. give that a shot if you're into horror movies. Okay, and, that's good. And the second title I highly recommend would be Come Back Little Sheba, mm -hmm. and yeah, it was part of the marriage stories, and I absolutely loved that category. That was that's fun to watch because yeah. I like watching movies where they, you know, kind of examine relationships, you know, and they're, they're kind of real when they're more like dysfunctional. It feels like, OK, more, a bit more relatable as opposed to like the Hollywood comedy. Everyone gets what they want. You know, there's no fluff. So but I highly recommend Come Back Little Sheba. It's based off a play. It stars Burt Lancaster and Shirley Booth. And this was actually her film debut. And this mm. her performance as Lola got her the best actress nomination in the win for a performance. Mm. And these two give solid performances in this movie. Burt Lancaster plays Doc. He was a former medical student and he dropped out due to his alcoholism. And as you watch the movie, you learn that when Doc and Lola got together, it was very dysfunctional. Like uh, she got pregnant and he was forced to kind of marry her because she was kicked out of the home. Uh, out of her father's home and so as he was trying to have this career she ends up losing the baby and she could no longer get pregnant and that's why he is an alcoholic and his alcoholism takes over and he's been trying to recover ever since and as you watch the movie he's still a recovering alcoholic he's an aa and lola his wife she is very codependent this is a very codependent marriage and this film is like, it takes place in the 1950s. So you have this ideally backdrop. Like they look like a happy couple on the outside. You know, she seems very loving to him. She's always there for him. But beneath all that, it's a lot of dysfunction. There's a lot of trauma between the both of them. Uh, they both kind of need each other, even though Doc doesn't really want to be with her. Because as they were, as they're living together, they are also taking care of this student who uh, rents a room in their house. And mm. Burt Lancaster's character kind of becomes infatuated with her. Meanwhile, she is engaged to another man and she's in she's having a crush on her school partner that she's like she's working on a project with. And this girl that that's kind of like caught in the middle of it all, you know, she doesn't try to lead Doc on, but she is the main she's the character that kind of makes the makes Doc and Lola examine their marriage. So it's a very, it's a well-crafted story. I love that the themes of the story are still relevant today. You know, when you talk about 
you know, codependency and alcoholism, this feeling of loss and wanting that partner, but you're projecting your needs on your partner and how that could be so destructive for both people involved. You know, it's a very powerful story. And um, Shirley Booth, just, she, if, even though I never read the play, it feels like it was written just for her. She just embodies the character of Lola. She is very playful. She's, she has a very sweet, almost naive vitae about her. She wants nothing but to make her husband happy, even though they're, it's almost she's too involved. You know, mm-hmm. she can't really help him. And Doc is, he's so overcome with grief. Burt Lancaster, he's known for playing like these very tough characters, but underneath the facade, like he, he's, there's a lot of emotional depth. And you see him, you know, wanting more for himself or at least regain what he's lost. Mm-hmm. And that just becomes even more, like, more treacherous to watch mm-hmm. him go through. It's like, because he's so torn. He's so torn apart. He has no choice but to kind of hit rock bottom. Yeah. So it's a very messy, complicated marriage story, but it's a powerful one. I think like, I mean, whether you're in a long-term relationship or in a marriage, I think this is something that still resonates to many couples. If they're, you know, if you're ever battling with an addiction yourself or you find yourself in, you know, in a relationship where you want your partner to always be there and, but not leave you. You know, that's the thing about Lola's character. As sweet as she is, as funny as she can be, as lively as she is, she's fearful of being abandoned again because of like what happened with her and her father. And she doesn't want Doc to really leave, and that's why she's always present. So it's a very uh, complex story, but it's a very it's a simple yet complex story, and there's so much nuance. And uh, just the, the performances are phenomenal. I I was so moved <laughs> by the end of the. By the end, the by the end of the movie. Well, that's great. That's great. I feel like that entire bundle has so many gems like this, and I'm glad that they're expiring in like one or two at a time, so that I, we can savor them like this. So, yeah, I'm excited for this one. And the title of itself is actually reference to the dog that she had. She had a dog named Little Sheba, and the dog runs away. But the dog never comes back. So it still plays this longing, the things of longing and this an ideal that you had, like someone's going to yeah. come back. And, you know, it's the characters having to accept the past so they mm-hmm. can just move on with their present and just kind of get back on track. Mm-hmm. Uh, even great. though this, in the 50s, it, this is a story that just that resonates regardless of the decade that you're in. That's great. What are you excited to catch, or what are you what are you looking forward to getting to before they leave? Mafune, the Last Samurai. Hmm. I love Akira Kurosawa movies. <laughs> I can't have to blame my Twitter friends because they were like encouraging me to see more of his stuff. I've already seen Seven Samurai, but they were like telling me to watch, you know, High and Low and Thorn of Blood. So I ended up watching those movies, and I just fell in love with Tashiro Mafune. That man yeah. is incredible. Yeah. Uh, his physicality, his fierceness, and his range as an actor he can play like the toughest samurai and then be have like a slight tenderness to him yeah at the same time it's like it's so incredible how he can embody all those range of emotions so quickly too so i would love to just like to learn more about his life and his career after kurosawa and like Mm -hmm. You know, just I wanted to know, like, what are the movies that he's done um, besides working with Kurosawa and just and how working with Kurosawa helped him in his career in the long run. But just knowing his legacy and and how his roles have impacted cinema down the road. So I would like to see that before it leaves. 
And the other film I want to see is I Am Not a Witch. Mm-hmm. And that's a Zimbabwean movie from Zimbabwe. I think that's what it's from. And it's done. I just know that it's done by a black female filmmaker. And I've always been interested in movies that deal with mysticism or, um, mm-hmm. you know, magic, things like that. And the fact that it's done by a black filmmaker, is, that's something I I would like to see more. Because, and since it seems like a shot in Africa, I like to know more about like African spirituality. And I want to see if those are incorporated in the story mm-hmm. or see how the filmmaker tackles those themes of mysticism and spirituality. And, you know, how does that look like in a in the film? Because I don't really watch a lot of African movies. I want to. <laughs> so. Yeah. I tend to watch, you know, I watch a variety of stuff. But I, sometimes I, you know, not on purpose, but I tend to not watch my own, you know. I, I mm-hmm. want to watch more Black filmmakers. And that kind of helps me, you know, kind of understand my culture too. And, you know, try to see, try to resonate more with those themes. But I want to see what she does with the movie. It seems like very interesting. It's like, a, a, I'm not sure if it's a coming of age film, but it's like about a girl. She goes to the school that if she were to leave, uh, she she could be cursed and turn into like an animal or something. <laughs> so it's a very interesting plot, but um, yeah, I would like to get more into like African films. So I just want to see what what the filmmaker does with it. She seems like a filmmaker that's on the rise apparently. So I would like to see what she does. Yeah, a good action. Well, and that's a great lead-in because that actually is the film that I want to recommend the most to people to catch before it leaves. Because I think I Am Not a Witch is maybe one of the great films that's leaving this month. It's just incredible. I normally attend the Seattle International Film Festival every year around May, but it was canceled this year. So I programmed a little at-home film festival for myself and ended up watching this during that. And... This just blew me away. It was incredible. And I, I like what you say. It it has this this magical realist bent mm-hmm. to it that is really incredible. And it's such a moving film. The the young actress in it is really stellar. It's it's an incredible film that is just it's one that I, I cannot recommend highly enough. I think people really need to to make the time to watch this one. I also really want to recommend Fire at Sea, which is a documentary on the refugee crisis. It is really just a, a powerful look at the ways that people in Europe are trying to help refugees as they are fleeing the wars, the famine, the the oppression in their home countries and are desperate. They are crowding onto boats. They are doing everything they can to to leave really dire situations. And you see the people of these countries really trying their best to take them in. And this one community in particular is is doing their best to send out boats to rescue the refugees uh, on the water. And uh, it is, it's a powerful, it's heartbreaking. It's a really, it's a really incredible work of nonfiction filmmaking that I think is still unfortunately just as timely and just Mm -hmm. as relevant as it was when it was made just a few years ago. So uh, it's one that I think is, is really, really worth uh, examining. And I think it it's one of those films that I think I think more Americans especially should watch because mm-hmm. I think it helps generate the empathy that I think we need to have towards these people who are are desperate 
and are in need of of support and help. So really worth worth watching here. Okay. And the the techniques that this filmmaker uses are really incredible. I'm really surprisingly eager for this Western noir bundle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've watched a couple of films from it. I'm hit and miss with Westerns. My grandfather was a big Western fan, and so I have this bias against Westerns. Uh, I'm a hit and miss, too, with, with Westerns. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm very yeah. picky about yeah. what the story's going to be told. And so... yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, I just try to, I try to give some a shot, and some are really good. Uh, yeah. but the spaghetti westerns are like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some I like, some I don't. But the handful that I have seen now from this Western noir bundle, I think the thing that I have really appreciated is how much, even in the the fifties, these films were interrogating issues of masculinity, issues of race, that they were they were actually really. You know they're they're still of their time and they still are not necessarily perfect. Yeah. But I am I am I was surprised I was surprised by how much there is this attempt at least to question the norms of the day and to to ask is this is this actually the 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 way we want our society to go do we want to be a country that is this violent do we want to be a country that is this committed to the the racism of our current situation and um it's uh, it's interesting so i'm curious to see a little bit more of how westerns in this time period were engaging with these issues or not and so i'll I'll probably catch a few more of this bundle and uh i'm curious to see a few more of these to see uh what was going on at the time and then uh adam mcgoyan is a filmmaker who uh was part of the that wave of filmmakers that i was watching when i was in college in the uh, late 90s that was kind of part of helping me begin to engage with art house and more independent cinema. And so adoration is the one that's leaving his bundle. And it's one I haven't seen yet. And uh, I'm really eager to see what he's doing there. And uh, I'm always, always up for a little bit more of Adam McGoyan. The sweet hereafter is one of my favorite films of all time. And uh, I think it's one of my favorite adaptations of all time. And so I'm always, always excited to see more of his work, even when, his films maybe don't work uh, completely for me. So, yeah. Well, those are the Criterion Channel's new and expiring titles for the month of September. So uh, hopefully we have given you all a few things to check out and uh, prioritize over the the last few weeks of uh, September before they leave. Alexandria, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you for having me. This This was, I had a lot of fun. And uh, I, I'm going to check out the films that you recommended because like, they, they sound incredible. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to dive into this Herschel Gordon Lewis and uh, see how I see how You're I going to have so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, where can people find you online? You can find me on uh, Twitter and on Instagram as uh, Film and Vinyl. So that's F-I-L-M-N-V-I-N-Y-L. And uh, I talk about pretty much movies but also sometimes politics and a couple of things as well and if i post anything from my blog you normally will find it there awesome thank you so much thank you 
You can find Criterion Channel Surfing at CriterionCast.com and our website, CinemaCocktail.com, and you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by searching for Criterion Channel Surfing. If you'd like to continue the conversation, join us in the Criterion Channel Club Facebook group or send us a message at CriterionChannelSurfing at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Josh Hornbeck. Our logo was designed by Doug McCambridge of the Good Times Great Movies podcast. You can see more of his design work at dpmdesigns.com. Criterion Channel Surfing is a proud member of Criterion Cast, a podcast network and website for fans of quality theatrical and home video releases. Find out more at CriterionCast.com and support the work of Criterion Cast at patreon.com slash CriterionCast. Criterion Channel Surfing is listener supported, so please consider donating to the show at patreon.com slash Josh Hornbeck. For just $5 a month, you get early access to all regular and bonus episodes of the show. And for $10 a month, you'll have the chance to give my guest and I a film to discuss in a special Patreon-only bonus episode. I'd like to continue to thank all of our Patreon supporters. I really do appreciate all of your ongoing support. It really does help keep the show running. So thank you so much. On the next episode of Criterion Channel Surfing, Alexandria and I sit down to discuss films about teachers and students as we head into the fall. I hope you'll join us. Thanks for listening. Criterion Cast, a podcast network and website for fans of quality theatrical and home video releases. Find out more at CriterionCast.com.